Well, hey there, Green Divas and Green Dudes. Welcome to the Green Divas Radio Show. I'm Green Diva Meg, and usually we have Green Diva Lynn in the opening of the show, but she is on a plane to California, sunny Southern California right now, and I'll be joining her in a few days, and you'll hear from us out there. So, happy trails, Lynn, and in the meantime, I want to make sure that you listen to this radio show coming up because there are some really, really interesting and informative and fun segments here. Our feature is Marilyn Melman, who is the General Secretary of Global Action Plan. She's an amazing woman. She called us from Europe. She's so busy. And uh, when she's not getting awards for changing the world, she is, you know, doing all kinds of thoughtful things and TED Talks and crazy fun stuff. So please listen to that. You'll be inspired. Lynn gave up her My Earth 360 segment to Allison Rose Levy, who is environmental and health journalist. And it's a really kind of scary, important segment that you listen to. Uh, I don't know how you feel about Citizens United. I personally think it's crap, and that's just my opinion. But it is enabling certain legislation and backroom deals to slide by, and things like Fast Track, and I'm sure you've been hearing about that, can enable things to be done that, you know, our congresspeople and senators won't even know about. Backroom deals having to do with trade stuff. There is stuff happening now, apparently, that could be extremely hazardous to our health and the environment and really just the way the world is. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Please pay attention. I think we all need to speak up and be aware. Uh, green Dude Rolly Montpelier is really thoughtful Green Dude segment with him. I talked to him about depression among climate change activists and scientists and just everyday people who are really, really concerned about what's happening and all of the statistics and the news coming out. Very thoughtful piece. And then, of course, we have the beautiful Jessica Duravage. And how, how cool is that name, right? She is co-hosting and co-producing a really interesting whole mind-body-spirit detox with Rebel Wellness uh, in March. And, and we, we, just, we have a really nice conversation about what that means. You know, it's not just about eating lettuce for 30 days or something. It, it's very involved with how we're thinking and, you know, the various things in our life and aspects of our lives that could use some detox. And meanwhile, please visit buygreen.com, your trusted source for all things healthy and green. And you can get there through thegreendivas.com. Go click on Marketplace. While you're there on thegreendivas.com, make sure you check out our new app. Uh, we have apps for smartphones and semi-smartphones, for GDGD Radio, streaming the best green and healthy living content. Check it out. Stay tuned for this great show. Overwhelmed by environmental news? Listen to the Green Divas My Earth 360 report for the latest eco-news bits from around the globe, carefully curated and borne by our need to say WTF. But we also love to share encouraging stories and, of course, ways that you can make your voice count for the Earth. It's not just My Earth. It's our Earth. And together, we can make a difference.
All right, another special My Earth 360, Green Diva's My Earth 360. Lynn has um, abdicated her time. I don't know if that's the right word, actually. But (laughs) we're on with Allison Rose Levy, who is a wonderful health food and environmental journalist. She has her own radio show called Connect the Dots. And um, she's making a connection. She's always working on making the connection between science, public policy, and action. And we have some pretty heavy stuff to talk about today. Hi, Allison. Hi, Meg. Nice to be here. Well, I hope I made sense in your introduction because you certainly make a lot of sense in your articles. Thank you. And the one that I read that I think we're going to talk about today has to do with these trade policies, these, you know, freaking... Trans-Pacific Trade Pact, the TTP, the TTIP, and maybe you could kind of give us a 101 on on all this. Sure. Um, you know, you may see, your, your listeners may see them out in the media, you know, with people with protest signs saying TPP or Stop Fast Track, and a lot of people are like, what is that all about? Right. Um, you know, reporting on health, food, and the environment Uh, I'm usually alerting people to dangers and also alerting them to opportunities to have more protective uh, regulation to look into and assess uh, health or environmentally endangering things like fracking. I was the first reporter uh, to cover that in the news cycle um, in the Northeast uh, Mm -hmm. for the last six or so years. So, you know, I'm kind of always out ahead of the curve saying how will things that go on in government either make it easier for us to uh, protect our personal health or make it harder. Um, so it's about a year ago that these, I call them Uber trade deals, so-called yeah. trade deals, yeah. um, came to my notice, and I began looking into them and covering them. Um, and, you know, when most people hear the word trade deal or treaty, they're, they're kind of like, oh, well, that's some big thing happening up out abroad. It has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, but as we know from NAFTA and the WTO and other things, unfortunately, these things can, if they go the wrong way, which these ones are, impact our health, our food supply, and our environment. And so that's my concern. Um, so, Well, you know, and, and, big- and, and I just have to jump in. What's even more of a concern is how these things are flying under the radar, and there's these right. backroom deals going on. I mean, if you watch House of Cards, it's a little bit of House of Cards going on here. Yes, it is. The, the deals have been conducted over the last five years in secret. Sitting at the table are multinational corporations, and the U.S. is represented by the U.S. trade representative, a man named Michael Froman, who comes straight from Wall Street and was the campaign manager, um, you know, and fundraiser for President Obama's elections. I last night heard Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize-winning economist, hypothesize um, that, uh, you know, in effect, Froman is in that seat to pay back donors. Um, by giving, you know, big giveaways in these private agreements. Making it worse, the provisions of these agreements are absolutely secret. Um, they have not been disclosed to the public, but are known through leaks, fortunately, and people who are kind of horrified and talking to other people. Um, but without that, these provisions would be unknown. And moreover, through something called fast track, in the next month, they will be voted on in the Senate and Congress um, you know, in, without their provisions ever being made known, yeah. either to the public or to our legislators. 
So when you hear fast track, what that means is that secret deals are passed without any public transparency, and once they are passed, they cannot be changed. See, I don't understand how we – and I know it goes back a long way, and there's Citizen United uh, decision, yes. which has had an enormous impact on how things are being done and the way that corporations now can step up and say, oh, you know, you've hurt my rights. Right. <laughs> Well, this would empower them even further. You know, right now we have in Vermont, the state of Vermont, which passed a GMO uh, labeling bill. We have uh, the combined grocery manufacturers, Monsanto and all the food ag groups, suing the state of Vermont. They're suing in the American court system, saying their freedom of speech as corporations or as people or whatever has been violated. But what these trade deals would put in place is that any multinational company from anywhere in the world could sue any government, state, local, national, and that, you know, in uh, the U.S., That's crazy. Europe, France, if we pass a regulation of any kind that says, oh, no, we decide we don't want, say, fracking in my state, which happened where I reside in New York, or, you know, we found out that this particular... Uh, a mission or product or food uh, ingredient is dangerous, and we, you know, we want it labeled or we want it studied or we don't want it used. If we say that, if any local law, up, all the way up to the national level, is passed, then these trade deals will allow those corporations to sue governments and say, "You have deprived me of my future profits, and you must compensate me." Yeah. And. Yeah. How about that? I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm incredulous, but it sounds like the law has been twisted in such a way that this could actually start going on. If this fast track goes through and we can stop it by going to www.stopfasttrack.com and writing our legislators and phoning them, and all you can easily hook up with them even if you don't know who they are just by putting in your zip code, yep. and you could do it every day. And now is the critical window, uh, beginning now late February into the month of March uh, and through the month of March, to let people know that you don't want this. Because if it passes in secrecy, this is in place. And when the corporations sue, they're not going through our judicial system. They're going through what's called, you know, state industry tribunals that exist on a global level that have different laws. So this supersedes our ability to honor the laws of our democracy. Oh, that's kind of really something. I I can't even wrap my head around that, and it's annoying me. Well, a lot of people feel that way, (laughs) and it seems so unbelievable. And actually... Uh, I've had to deal with that a lot. People who know and regularly follow my work are like, oh, well, this can't be true. This must be a paranoid nightmare. But <laughs> let me tell you, Meg, last night I heard a Nobel Prize winning economist and former economist for the World Bank, that high a level, right. a senior economist, say exactly what I'm telling you now, and it's not uh, anyone's paranoid nightmare. Right. Uh, he and other experts that I've interviewed have read the leaked documents, and this is what the provisions are. And in Europe, because we have better reporting in the mainstream over there than we do in this country, and thanks and hats off to your radio program and Alternet, where I report on the environment and progressive, you know, uh, progressive radio news, uh, you know, we can find out about these things, but in Europe, they're up in arms because the press reports it. Here it doesn't. Yeah. That makes it, yeah. you know, 
like unreal to people. Sadly. So I'm go- you mentioned Alternet. Is that where the article I just read probably is, right? Yes. Okay. And I'll be doing other articles on this topic. People can Google Allison Rose Levy plus Alternet to get a whole list of you know my articles as they keep coming out. Well, and, and we'll link to it, and we're going to put sure. this podcast out really very quickly because we really want everybody to read up on this. Follow the connect the dots. How about that? Mm-hmm. I love your radio show. Connect thank the you. dots and um, and take action. I I, I thank right. you for giving us this URL, uh, stopfasttrack.com. Because yeah. um, you know, tell your friends, people. Because it's not. There's no downside, as far as I can tell, to stopping the fast track. It no, just puts I'm- it puts legislation back on. It's normal track, and and even if it is lunky and uh, you know has its its uh, its sluggish or whatever, at least it's open. Exactly, and that right way we can see what's actually in the treaties, and you know deliberate, and the public can know. But as Stiglitz pointed out, um, you know the only reason to do this is because people don't want the public to know, and it's part of the same trend. Yeah. of removing knowledge and, and empowerment from the people Don't and like giving it. it to corporations. Yeah, no, there's like a, a, a million reasons, and you and I could talk all day about this, but that's why we are going to talk again soon, and we hope to have you on the show regularly and, and promote your other work. So, you know, you'll be hearing more from one of our new favorite green divas, Allison Rose Levy. And in the meantime, go look her up, 1L, Allison. <laughs> Thank you, Meg. It's been so much fun talking with you. All right, Allison. Thanks. Get all the details from this Green Divas My Earth 360 report and lots more on thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com, and myearth360.com. Every Green Diva needs a sidekick. At the Green Divas radio show, they're called Green Dudes. Time now for a deeper shade of green from a guy's perspective. Well, one of my favorite Green Dudes, um, not not the least of which is he has a sexy French accent, uh, Rolly Montpellier, uh, the creator, and uh, did I say it? I did it. Did I do my fake, fake French accent okay? Sure. sure. <laughs> that was not sure, convincing. It, sure. It was actually very good. <laughs> oh, good. I feel better. He's the creator yeah. and editor of BoomerWarrior.org, and he's always got some really interesting insights into topics relating to the environment, global climate change, but um, usually with a really interesting kind of depth. And so today's topic I'm really interested in hearing about and I think that, that I've been prone to this, but so many of us are, and that is sort of depression and, you know, mental stress and strain from climate change and the news that's out there and the the, the, the actual climate change. So, Rolly, tell me what, what you've stumbled upon in terms of some research. Well, yes, it's a... It's kind of an evolving or an emerging field, uh, not depression, of course, that's been around since the beginning of times, but uh, certainly uh, how uh, climate change can you know, lead uh, many people to um, have depressive uh, episodes. 
and uh, not just the you know everyday uh, street person, but the the climatologist, uh, research experts, the, the climate scientists, right? Uh, having to deal with uh, I guess the results of their research and what they're finding out about uh, our planet. Uh, and I come to this topic from my own experience as well. Uh, I've uh, I've suffered from from depression during my entire adult life, uh, and uh, what I find uh, interesting right now is that society is a lot more open to talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both here in Canada, where I live, but also in the United States, and uh, uh, like that's that's the result of. Um, you know, a lot of athletes, I suppose, and, and uh, celebrities, uh, you know, the Robin Williams uh, situation, right. people just coming out and talking about it. And I think that's a great thing uh, because, uh, like I said, it's not an easy subject, but I think the conversation is that we must have is very important. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And uh, about 20 years ago, I read this, uh, The Road Less Traveled. Oh, uh, boy, Yeah. Yeah written by Scott Peck, and I just happened to look at it uh, last week as I was getting ready for this. And his book starts with these three words, life is difficult. You know... And I thought, you know, that's, that's kind of true, isn't it? i got to stop you right there. I literally opened that book, read those three words, closed the book, and never read it because I just couldn't accept. Yeah. Now, you know, that was a long but time ago. But you should have read the next paragraph because the next paragraph says that once you accept that life is difficult, yeah. once you really, really accept it, then you understand it and you can go on. It's yeah. no longer as difficult. Uh, it's like admitting that it is difficult, and once you accept that, you can deal with it. I think so, that's been true, and I think the resistance mm-hmm. to um, the reality, whatever that is, that life is difficult, yeah. for instance, like resisting mm-hmm. that reality is just creates extra friction, and, and I think he's right once we... And that mm-hmm. has been my experience. I'm talking about probably 30 years ago I opened that book. <laughs> I never mm-hmm. did read it, but I have my own journey. So anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then, the, then the question someone asked me not too long ago, says, well, you know, what was, well, if, if, you're, if you're prone or if you've suffered with uh, depression... Uh, why in the world would you want to be involved as a climate activist? Because there's a whole lot of depressing news coming out of that. And uh, that was a good question. I didn't know quite, you know, quite how, how to answer that because, uh, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think we've dealt with that in the previous uh, segment I did on uh, the Green, Day, Green Diva Radio. And it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm a grandfather yes. and I just feel that... Uh, my motivation come, comes from from that fact that uh, the stakes are so high and the consequences of doing nothing are just unimaginable. So I guess I can't accept my responsibility, and I kind of, you know, leaped right into this and did the, the climate reality training in Chicago with uh, the Al Gore reality, uh, Leadership Corps. Yeah. So uh, I spend my days and... and, uh, and <laughs> probably dream about this at night too i'm not sure but i spend my days uh working uh on my website i'm a blogger i i write letters to the editor i'm a member of you know different uh, groups like citizens climate lobby 350.org climate reality right so that's that's what i do uh, it's uh it's it's an ongoing uh, uh thing and uh um uh, 
that's well, kind of been my life for the last a couple of years. Well, the fact is, is it's going to take an awful lot of us to be mm-hmm. slightly obsessed to help get everybody involved to make change because it's not going to happen if there's a half a dozen of us screaming at the mm-hmm. mountaintop or from yeah. the mountaintop. It really is going to take a whole lot of people to push this thing into a different direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, for me, anyways, uh, for me, the, uh, the antidote to depression is my activism. Yes. And, uh, but that said... Uh, I came across this article in the, by Dar Jamal, and he's a Kuwaitout staff reporter. And he writes in his article about, uh, and the title of the article is Mourning Our Planet, Climate, Climate Scientists Share Their Grieving Process. And that's such an interesting wow. article because he compares his own experience uh, where he's been suffering from depression, from the type of work that he does, and he compares... Uh, the uh, his uh, his situation with uh, Elizabeth Kubler Kubler Ross's right. five stages of the grieving process. Yeah, and you know when you when you look at the five stages, one is denial, one yep. is anger, yeah. uh, one is depression, and so that's kind of a very, it's a very appropriate comparison. Yes. Um, so I, uh, I I've come across some interesting interesting research as I've you know tried to get ready for this. Uh, this program, wow! Uh, but he mentions it, and I agree that this does not come, uh, you know, without emotional consequences. Uh, this kind of work, and for me, uh, I can't think. And I've had a long career in, you know, public service and public administration, and uh, I cannot think of any work that I've done that has been more emotionally demanding than yeah. this kind of work. Yeah, um, it uh, it's very demanding. You know, it's interesting because I think that's part of why the Green Divas, you know, part of our mission is to share news but to always stay on the positive solutions side of this because there is so much, oh, my God, the polar bears are dying, the ice caps are melting, and it's all your fault. And so, you know, our mission is to to help make the news – hearable because uh you know sometimes you got to use a little sense of humor even though some of it's pretty serious um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but to try well, you know our our thing is to try to stay on the positive side like yeah here's a problem and here are a handful of things you can do about it, it you know we're not helpless and hopeless because uh i just i just couldn't do that and i you know so uh i appreciate this con and have, do you ever are you familiar with the show newsroom it was a show on... Um, yes, yes, I love that show. Oh, it's like one of my favorite, favorite shows yeah. ever. I love that guy. But, you know, did you see the episode where they had the, I don't know if he was the undersecretary of the Department of uh, EPA, I don't mm-hmm. remember, and he flips out on the show because there's such horrifying yeah. news. He just kind of breaks down and says it's over. Like, we're, that's it. There's no turning back. <laughs> and, well, exactly. Uh, and I remember that episode and I thought, oh man, I'm right ever glad that this is on, you know, on, on, on TV and people yeah. watch this show. So uh, I, I guess one of the things that is, uh, gives me solace and comfort is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the only one doing this. We're, we're, right. we're all in this together. And, uh, uh, it, it, you know, you see it in, in different formats on television. Right. This is a, this is a, an entertainment program, and yet there was a very strong statement about 
about climate change and its effects. Well, and, and specifically um, speaking to what you're talking of, and uh, you know, because this this was this man's business. He wasn't a scientist, mm-hmm. but I mean, he's reading the reports, and it's his job to help advise the country, that you know, the administration. And he flipped out. He just like snapped. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think one, that's one, bound to happen. Yeah, one of the terms I came out, I came across is uh, uh, with respect to anticipating. What has yet to happen? It's uh, anticipatory anxiety, and that's—I wow. mean, that's one thing to deal with extreme weather, like you know, uh, uh, Sandy uh, right. in, in New York, and so on. But it's the just not knowing what's going to happen next, yeah. and what's likely to happen in the future, and that that kind of anxiety is—and uh, you know, I think you mentioned uh, uh, before we came on, on the air uh, about you know someone. You know who has deep concerns for, right. uh, you know, the future of, of his children, and millions of us have concerns for the future of our children and grandchildren, and that's anticipatory anxiety. And it, yes, you know, it's it must be dealt with. Well, and you know, um, I had this conversation yesterday with Jeff McIntyre Strasberg because he's a grandfather for the first time, um, and and we were talking about how so much. You know, 20 years ago when when people talked about sustainability, if they use that word, it was always about, you know, future generations and my grandchildren. And it was sort of a theory, you know. And now that I have grandchildren, I look at them like, oh, my God, this is real. This is real. And I am deeply concerned for these little tiny people. Mm -hmm. And it just makes it. It just kind of solidified what was theory before for for so many of us. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So I've uh, one of the things that I, I did come across though is uh, some uh, I guess some research done by a psychiatrist. Uh, her name is Lise Van Susteren, and she was the co-author of a report that, uh, uh, and the, the, the report was I think uh, uh, not sanctioned but uh, uh, sponsored by the National Wildlife Federation. Uh-huh. And in this particular report. Uh, there's an estimate of some two, uh, you know, there's an estimate of about 200 million Americans exposed to uh, psychological distress from, you know, climate-related related events. So that's a very huge number. Wow. And uh, and uh, so that must also with, be with, speaking of like Sandy, for instance. We we got hit very hard by Sandy. We had two cars destroyed, and I mean there was a yeah. lot of stress. Yeah, of course it is. So, I mean, this is a reality, and but she doesn't leave, the, in her report, she doesn't leave it, uh, you know, just on the negative side. She she has come up with some real, you know, do's and, and, and don'ts, I oh, guess, uh, climate uh, you know, trauma survival uh, tips. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, 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 I look at those, and I, you know, int- I, intuitively, I, I kind of knew about these, because... Um, they're very familiar. Right. Uh, you know, one of them. One of them. Uh, you know, uh, have I got time to share a few of these? Oh with yeah, you? absolutely. Okay. Yes, please. Well, some of the do's. She says, first of all, if you're involved as a climatologist and you know you're actively involved, uh, you know, as an activist. So if you do this kind of work on a day-to-day basis, you have to make sure you take care of yourself, uh, you know, physically and spiritually. And that goes yeah. without saying. But yeah. you can get you can get so caught up with this that. You know, you just keep putting it off, and you don't do it. Yes. So, uh, you know, maintaining a balance between your your, uh, in my case, my activism life, if you can call it that, yeah. and my personal life. Uh, she talks about 
the importance of physical exercise and yep. uh, getting outdoors and in nature as much as possible. And this is perfect for me because I live, I live uh, on a lake and surrounded by forest. So it's uh, oh. I can I can kind of just step outside and get some of this uh, medicine, I guess that she talks about. Yeah. Uh, and then remember that you're not alone. And I, I, you know, I mentioned that a while ago. This is also very very important. And. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, this is one of the reasons I, I've joined different organizations, yeah. as opposed to being just a you know a desktop activist. Right. You have to get your feet you have to get your feet on the ground and, and, and share and, and work with other people. Uh, and uh, you know just to make sure you have boundaries uh, between you know your 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 climate life, if you can call it that, and uh, your your personal life. So these are all very important tips that. Uh, she uh, she has uh, put out for people to uh, benefit from. Well, and they do seem obvious, yet it probably never hurts to be reminded. And, um, exactly. you know, I, I think Green Diva Lynn and I are always fighting for balance. And so we support each other wholeheartedly when one of us needs to take some time out to get some exercise or take care of mm-hmm. our families. You know, yeah. we're – because, you know, we – we do hear this news. We're bombarded by it all day long in press releases and newsletters and all the yeah. people like you that help keep us informed. And uh, it can get very, very overwhelming. So I, I'm really glad that, you know, keeping with our, our hope and our mission to present a, a problem but, but also present a solution. And, you know, um, these all seem extremely rational. And I'm just sitting here very grateful to hear them. And I'm going to kind of paste them on my wall, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, exactly. And then if she has a few don'ts as well, like, no, don't think that you're invulnerable because, uh, you know, none of us uh, yeah. is uh, invulnerable. And uh, just never give up. So uh, I, I think that's where I kind of, uh, you know, uh, that's what I focus on to uh, maintain my, uh, my sanity through, <laughs> through all of this. And I must say, uh, you know, in, I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, of the interview that uh, I've, uh, I've suffered from depression, but I must say that uh, just on a very encouraging note that it's one can live with this uh, with this disease right. uh, with proper uh, support, with yep. proper uh, treatment. I mean, I've uh, I, I'm having a full life. I've had a successful career. Yeah, I've got a good family life. So it's. Uh, it's doable, and uh, the worst thing one can do is to just kind of, you know, feel sorry for oneself. That does not that is not the solution. I think the solution is being active and being aware of, uh, uh, you know, of what you can do to help yourself. And uh, well, Roly, uh, I just yeah. want to thank you for really being candid about your personal experience and bringing it here to us um, and our audience, and and you know, for sharing a message of hope. Um, that that's you know you know in the context of climate change and those that are involved in activism, but also for everyone, anyone for any reason who who is suffering from any kind of depression, that there is hope. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and well, I'm, I'm very pleased to be on your show once again. And um, uh, it was uh, it was a great interview. I well, I know it. that you will. Uh, share a wonderful post with us, and uh, mm-hmm. I really look forward to that. And in the meantime, people can go to boomerwarriors.org. Is it warriors or warrior? 
warrior.org. There you yeah. go. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Rolly. You're very welcome, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Want more information on this Green Dude segment and other ideas for low-stress green living? Go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Marketing is often about getting people to buy not what they need, but rather what they think they need, especially when it comes to the number two beverage sold in America, bottled water. More on that after this. Everyone wants to be a part of the green movement, and that's a great thing. Going green takes on a whole new meaning when you add tall grass beef to your family's dinner table. It's tender and juicy, and since the cattle graze on the natural grasslands of Kansas, it's also loaded with essential fatty acids and omega-3s that regular grain-fed beef lacks. It's good for you and your family and good for the earth. For more information and to order tall grass beef online, go to www.tallgrassbeef.com. Soda is the number one consumed drink in America, followed closely by bottled water. But what are you really drinking? A 2010 study asked test subjects to rate the taste of water from a bottle versus water from the tap. The conclusion was that the difference was adding minerals for taste. The reality is that 25% of the bottled water sold comes from municipal sources with flavoring added. The main reason for the cost of bottled water isn't the water. It's the amount of crude oil needed to make the bottles, about 17 million barrels a year. Bottled water, the one time water and oil do mix, because it's highly profitable. I'm Bill Curtis with Earth Matters. The Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people, who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. What an honor it is to be able to get on the phone with this beautiful woman, Marilyn Melman, who is the General Secretary of the Global Action Plan, which is known as GAP. It's an international organization helping to teach and empower individuals and organizations and businesses um, to behave more sustainably. And so we can all kind of get our act together and do it in a hurry. And I love this woman. Hi, Marilyn. Hello, Megan. And, that was a wonderful introduction. Oh, thank you. And where are you calling from, actually? From Stockholm, Sweden. Oh, I love this. I love we're getting so much more international, and it uh, it's very exciting to me that we can – do all this, uh, you know, I know you had to dust off your phone because you're far more into, you know, uh, everybody seems to be into the Skype thing, and we just haven't been able to incorporate it into our um, recording thing as much, so I apologize. But anyway, moving on, you know, you are a recipient of the Rachel Carson Prize, which, um, you know, to many of us is a very, very important thing for people who don't know who Rachel Carson is, you know, just take a break and go Google her and then come back um, and wake up because uh, she is sort of part. So so it must have been an honor for you to receive that in 2012, was it? Yes, that's right. Um, and indeed, I, I remember when her book Silent Spring was first published. Yes. And it made a huge impression on me. Um, 
she's been one of my idols ever since, so it was very, very heartwarming yeah. to be awarded a prize in her name, as it were. So I saw that you had done a TEDx, and, I mean, among the many things you do, there's a sense of urgency about helping us all learn how to live more sustainably, whether it's in our own households, whether it's in our communities or in the businesses that we run and work in. Um, And, you know, you talk a lot about teaching and learning and how people learn. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? You have a philosophy, obviously. Yes, indeed. Well, to go back to what you said before about reaching lots of people, which we have done, I think, through our member organizations, we've reached certainly several million people by now who've actually actively changed their lifestyles. Wow. But um, it, to me, it's not to, that in, in itself is not so much about teaching as about an invitation, because... In all the contacts I've had with thousands of people, and I've worked in like something like 30 countries, I think, um, most people long for a, for a way of life that is more sustainable than the one they have today. Yeah. I think it's, we don't want all this extra stuff. We just feel as though it's part of what, we're, what is expected of us. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the people who are living under the breadline, they want more, which is reasonable. That's it's not sustainable to die of starvation either. Right. Um, but even the over-consumers, like you and me, I'm, I'm bracketing you there, although I don't know about your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, we actually would prefer greater simplicity if we just knew, knew how to go about it. So it's an invitation. Oh, that's a, brilliant. That to me is very important. It's not about teaching people to do things, you know, to stop doing things wrong and to do things right. It's about inviting people to explore what it would mean for them to live a really laid-back, comfortable lifestyle without being stressed out and, yeah. Well, I think that's a brilliant brilliant way to put it, and and I agree, and yes, absolutely, I could simplify my life so much more than it is, and I do yearn for it, and I think that stuff, like we're just in this kind of culture, at least here in the U.S., and I think many of us are waking up, but we have been in this sort of culture or coma of stuff. You know, just you've got to buy stuff. You've got to go get stuff. And everybody needs this gadget. And um, I have been waking up over the last few years and being like, it feels like this stuff is almost a burden. It It, it is stressful. So the idea that getting rid of stuff um, could be, it is de-stressing, but I, I think some Sometimes people get caught up in, oh, but I need that or I'll be stressed. <laughs> and I, yeah, well, just, don't talk, just don't try to take my computer away from me, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are a few things. I like my microphone and my computer, right, right. My, oh. Yeah. But, you know, but your I, other question was about learning, which is so, so important. You know, we um, took stock somewhere around 2005. We looked around at all the beautiful initiatives that are going on in the world and said, why aren't more of them being followed, right. getting huge numbers of followers, followers? How is it that every time we start a new project, it's as though we need to start from zero? Yeah. You know, the world is full of databases of good practice or even best practice, um, but they don't seem to have much effect. Right. So we asked ourselves, well, what is the secret to learning? How, how do we best learn um, from our own experience in the first place? And if possible, also from other people's experience. 
And when we started looking at the literature, it seemed as though it was terribly, terribly difficult. <laughs> um, people don't really do that very well. Yeah. And we decided that that wasn't a sufficiently good answer because small children do it all the time, and somehow along the way we unlearn it. So we, by 2009, we had a kind of workable methodology, a, a way of bringing people together and enabling them to make very rapid progress in learning from their own projects and experiences and, and from each other's. And since then, we've taught people from more than 40 countries, somebody said the other day. Wow. And we've trained facilitators in Europe, Africa, and Asia. And and it's sort of taking on a life of its own, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And we're not stopping because we, we have a kind of action research approach. So every workshop is an opportunity for us to learn some more. Yeah, well, it's so much of it is motivation, and I mean, just watching you in the handful of videos that 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 I that I have seen, and talking to you in these few minutes, I think, oh, I can see why, um, you're very motivating, and I I could learn from you because there's there's an enthusiast there's a sincere enthusiasm in the way that you present what you're presenting, and there's a truth to it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I like that. Thank you. Um, so I'm watching these videos, and the words enable and empower come up um, quite a bit, and I, and I like that aspect of it. You're not you're not just lecturing to people like you must, and you, you, you explained this earlier better than I will. But I like the words enable and empower. You're helping people to find that spark in themselves that motivates them to go and do these things, and here is how. Um, uh, so what is my question? I don't know. I don't have a question. I'm just babbling here. Don't mind me. <laughs> but you said it, you said something very, very important there, actually, because um, I, I've done I've worked for many, many years, like 30 years. I was a management consultant and things like that. And I've been asked so many times by managers of businesses, um, can I come and motivate their staff to do stuff? And as gently as possible, I try to point out that the only person who can motivate you is you. Yeah. What, what I can do is to, to make it easier for you and more fun to yeah. motivate yourself. There you go. But the, the motivation has to come from inside, from the heart, from wherever it comes from. I don't know, but it, it has to come from inside. Well, you do. There's a little cute little video about guru about how to spell yeah. guru, and I, I'm just going to tell everybody that they have to go to Marilyn's website and um, and look at these videos, but there's a really cute one about guru, which describes this very nicely. <laughs> Gee. Yes, it's a quote from my wonderful former friend and colleague, uh, Warren Ziegler, from, who was a professor of future studies at Syracuse. Uh, just an amazing person. So, yes, do go. <laughs> do go listen. <laughs> Now, just while, while I brought it up, what is your uh, website just so that people can find it easily? Well, the, um, the organization's website is globalactionplan, in one word, yes. dot .com. So okay. that's very easy. Globalactionplan.com. And, and then... And I have, a, I have a blog site. I blog very sparingly, so I'm not going to overwhelm you with blogs, but it's Marilyn Mailman, in one word, dot .net. And I will put all of this on the Green Divas website as well, but just because I mentioned it, there there are some wonderful um, videos. There's an interview there from a student. Um, there's a lot of information there from Marilyn about, and you, and you can learn about uh, 
all these things. So let's talk more optimism. That word came up in one of the videos. You have a friend, Robert Gilman. (laughs) Yes. um, Robert also has a very interesting website. Um, Yes, he, he once said that you can look around the world and see a million different reasons for being a pessimist. And you can take off those spectacles and put on another pair and look around and see a million different reasons to be an optimist. And he said, the thing is, all of those things are true. It's a matter of where you choose to put your attention. And he said, I think I do more good as an optimist. And anyway, optimists have more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that makes it very simple then. Just please be an optimist. So no, but it, that, that doesn't mean being in what we call sometimes an idiot optimist. Yeah, an idiot optimist, right? Just saying that everything's going to be fine no matter what. Because if everything's going to be fine no matter what, then I don't need to take action, right? Yeah, I can just sit back and wait for no matter what to happen. Right. Well, so let's let's just say that you are an optimist that humanity will wake up and start empowering themselves to take action, and and many people are. Um, so do you feel that, that there is hope for a, a shift, a significant shift in, in how we do things, and can we have an effect on climate change, for instance? Well, that's, that's a good one. I mean, it's a whole complex of questions. I know, but sorry. But it's the simplest, I think, if we don't have a shift, if we just carry on hoping that things will work out um, and somebody else will do something. Yeah then um, there's not much future for humankind. I don't know whether people will simply disappear or whether human civilization will disappear, but I, I don't think there's much hope for humankind if we don't have a shift. Right. So um, it's qu- kind of a good reason to start thinking about what's my role in all of this. It is. Um, especially if you have grandchildren. I have a whole raft of them. <laughs> so... <laughs> I have two that live with me, and they remind me every day. Right. Isn't it good to be reminded? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And so there, there's so many things you can do that are very simple, and that's the good news. Um, we can move into things um, step by step. I had a wonderful conversation with a leader of a, a Buddhist organization in Korea many years ago. And, uh, well, it was really a hilarious occasion, and, and we ended up, <laughs> him playing the guitar and us singing all night. But anyway, <laughs> I went straight to, straight from to, in the morning to, my, to the airport to go back to Europe. But the, the conclusion we arrived at was it doesn't really matter whether you start sorting your, gar- by sorting your garbage or thinking about what your food you eat or whether you start by meditating deeply and getting into spirituality. The point is you started. Yes. You're on, you're on a route you're on a path that is leading all of us to something better. Right. And, and it's incremental. It's step by step. You don't have to change your entire life in five minutes or even 15. You know, it, it's an ongoing thing. In fact, I think once you start on that path, you're never going to be bored again. Oh, it's Not so ever. it's so darn true. And so many people we've asked, you know, how did you get started in this journey of whatever it is they're doing? And many of them say, you know, I just realized how simple it was to recycle my newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then it caught on. And you realize and a lot of people, when they have children, they become motivated. And 
I, I just, the Green Divas and what we try to do, and, I, and, and you sound like you're on the same wavelength, is try to make it so it isn't so overwhelming. It isn't so scary, um, and you don't have to do it all at once. I mean, you know, many Green Divas still shave their legs. You know, it's like you don't have to give up everything. <laughs> No, I don't. In case you're asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's funny though. And you know, and well, and I don't in the winter, just in case anybody else cares. Uh, so, <laughs> sorry to my husband, but um, you know, the, it just it is about jumping in where you can. Maybe where your heart is uh, as as a mother might be very easy to think about uh, organic food when you're feeding your children. It comes naturally. You start to become concerned. Um, and yeah. then from there, it, it, it often blossoms. Many people say they start when they have small children and they look down and they realize their children are crawling around on chemicals <laughs> that they clean their floor with, um, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I happen to believe that whether it's meditation, like you said, or, um, or recycling, that it all kind of lifts, lifts us up to another level and, and be, the rest of it becomes easier. Yes. Without we, guilt. We, we just we keep finding new ways to do things, and that's the fun part. It is. Never a dull moment. <laughs> so when you... when you, you, mentioned, you mentioned a very important word there, and that was food. It's very much a focus for our work at the moment. Yeah. Um, the food um, cycle, I won't say industry, but the food cycle, yeah. of, uh, is the biggest single contributor to climate change. You mentioned climate change earlier. Oh, and yeah. it's also the... the, the that is most sensitive to climate change and most vulnerable to climate change. So we're working very hard to develop a new program now that is going to address that at the community level. And there are lots of good initiatives out there already, so I hope we're going to be strengthening them and learning from them and spreading, spreading good practices to many, many other places. So oh, That's next on our path. I, I have no doubt about that. And, and, and then there's water. That's a whole other almost yes. terrifying, overwhelming topic um yes and uh so i i i'm glad that you're doing what you're doing from from your perspective from everything i've learned about gap and um and and your work it seems like it's a really necessary way to help amplify the messages and get it out uh as exponentially (laughs) fast as possible So tell me, if we'd, if we'd found other people doing exactly what we're doing, we would have stopped doing it. There's no point in duplicating. There's plenty of work for everybody. Oh yeah, there is. There's. It's. It's really. It is kind of endless. I. I feel that on my end, and. Um, and it doesn't bother me. I don't mind doing whatever what it is. I'm. You know, everybody has their role. You know. Um, yes. But when when you talk about teaching individuals, let's say, do you hold workshops? I've. I've heard the term workshop do you do workshops for individuals who want to learn about how to get more active in their own lives um mostly it's our member organizations okay that do that okay uh, we have member organizations in something like 20 countries 25 countries i think so you support and the organization they organize yeah. activities we of course do organize workshops um and not least because we train workshop facilitators and you can't train a workshop facilitator without giving a workshop. <laughs> At least not in my not in my world. <laughs> right, right, right. So we don't do the the training in theory. We do it in practice, hands on. 
so then, of course, we get to work with people in, in all these wonderful... Oh, I think the phone probably did die. Okay. Ah, I can oh, hear you. There you are. I... Yay. Good. Well, I was just okay. going to say, is there any particular... I don't know one. Is, is there a story about an organization that stands out or some, um, I don't want to say favorite organization because obviously there's so many and they all do different things, but is there some story or anecdote that stands out uh, as, as particularly, uh, I don't know, illustrative of the work you do, you know, seeing, seeing the work you do come, come to fruition maybe? Well, I've been working myself quite a lot in uh, the last uh, seven or eight years in, in Ukraine. Oh. And I like to bring it out because the, most of the news we hear from Ukraine these days is, is negative. Um, but in fact, we have a hugely successful uh, member organization there. And they, with support from us, have developed a whole curriculum for schools, well, from kindergarten to grade nine. Wow. Um, Lessons for Sustainable Development, mm -hmm. um, and it's hugely successful. This year, we reckon they will get up to their 200,000th uh, pupil enrolled in the program. Wow. And it's um, one lesson a week for a whole school year. Uh, oh, I love and that it's, story. It's just something quite remarkable, and they're doing such fantastic things. Every time I go there, I get new inspiration, and I just love to talk about that because... As I say, most of the news you hear from Ukraine these days is pretty bleak. Yeah, but you know what? A couple of weeks ago, I had two different interviews in a day on two different topics, not even related, and both of them had statistics about how wonderful Ukraine is doing with renewable mm -hmm. energy and really raising awareness about sustainability. And I was like, wow, I am really impressed. Yeah. I think that this is the most ambitious uh, curriculum of education for sustainable development in the world today, uh, and that's really nice. Um, we're also working quite a lot in Vietnam, and they are just amazing too. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, among others with the Women's Union, which is a very um, important player in Vietnamese society, and they are, they are fantastic women. And we discovered quite early on in uh, working with our partners in Vietnam that if you have the women's union on your side, you know, you can do almost anything. <laughs> it, it, you can go anywhere, do anything. It's just amazing. It's probably true everywhere. Um, we just don't necessarily call it the women's union. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's something in that. <laughs> well, and we've been working with, with youth in uh, Kosovo, which is another nice story. Oh, yeah. We've been helping to, to empower young people, teenagers. Oh. Uh, and to design nature experiences for, for younger kids and then to take them up in the mountains. And they've done the most amazing things. The ones we started working with when they were 14, 15, are now entering university. I think the oldest is going to be 20 this year. And they're just amazing. One of the things they did when they were 14, 15 was they started organizing an animated film festival to get uh, kids out of basements and outdoors because they have outdoor film screenings oh, in nice. parks and so on. And it's the, it's, I think it's the biggest animated film festival in Europe. Oh. And it's organized by 15-year-olds, or it was the first round. Well, and there's, there's another country that has seen a lot of dark times and is yes. healing, and yes. it's so nice to see and hear 
about this this type of um, encouraging activity. Yes. Especially with yes, youth. It, it is. Very inspiring to work with them. Well, you're inspiring, Marilyn, and I so appreciate your taking time to call us. And um, I, I imagine you're a very busy person. I, I, I just marvel at everything you've done and everything you're doing. So Busy, busy is my middle name, yes. And yeah. It was lovely to talk to you, Megan. Thank uh, you for the opportunity. All right, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk again soon. I hope so, too. Hope you enjoyed that as much as they did. Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com.